Welcome to Cyber Inspiration Podcast. My name is Evgeny. I have been around cybersecurity for the last 20 years and I have a lot of experience working with a variety of cybersecurity vendors. My main work is vendor consulting and cybersecurity advisory for companies. As part of my passion in technology and cyber, I've been intrigued to learn how a company starts. I started the podcast to understand the thinking process and what motivated people to start their own company. This podcast is affiliated with Security Architecture Podcast. We have Joshua today from Fish Firewall to talk about his product and his company. Joshua, can you please tell me about yourself and the company? I'm Joshua Crumball. I came from an ethical hacking background, which inspired me to build a security awareness training platform that would actually keep people like me out. So I developed Fish Firewall, and Fish Firewall is an AI-driven security awareness training platform, as well as phishing simulation platform. Great. So my background is also in firewalls. I started my cybersecurity career in Checkpoint as a QA analyst. So firewalls is dear to my heart. So great for you to do this. And I think the name is quite cool as well, because people will probably be intrigued. Oh, what does it do? Is it actually a firewall? What it is? So I think always when people get intrigued, it's good. Now, you guys been around for before the pandemic, I believe so. So right before the pandemic. And you mentioned that you got the inspiration to stop people like you. Can we go deeper? What happened? Like why? Why are you not satisfied in your current work? Or something happened with the customers that triggered you to actually create such product? Yeah. So a lot of my career was spent in social engineering. And so I was able to do things like talk my way into bank vaults or casino money cages, Fortune 500 data centers. And during that time, there was one particular incident that really stood out over the rest. It was a major financial institution where I was able to tailgate in off of the exact same person four years in a row. No matter what place I would go into when I would talk to the executives about their human security problems or their security awareness problems, I would hear the same thing. And it was, you can't patch stupid. That to me really felt like a challenge, if you will. I don't like any absolutes as is. And I really didn't feel like it was the fault of the people that I was tricking nine times out of 10. They didn't have adequate training. And I felt like we could do better as organizations to properly train and properly prepare our employees for these cyber threats that we know they're going to face. That's a little bit about why I got into it and what motivated me to really challenge the status quo and create something new. That's stupid or is maybe nice? Because if I'm going to a building and you coming after me, I may be nice. I don't want to ask you, do you really work here? I remember when I was still working full time, one of my friends was doing a long engagement for six months in Vegas. And he was traveling back and forth. And he didn't even come to the office for six months. And he had a new reception. And when he came, he's like, are you work here? And I'm like, yes, I'm the CTO of the company. I was just not around for a long time. That was interesting because we don't always know who is coming and who is going. Maybe you're not dressed nicely and you look executive and you're following me and you project that you're supposed to be here and nobody will ask you anything because they're nice or polite or don't want to get out of the comfort zone. Yeah. And I mean, the opposite side is when I'm not supposed to be there, if I wear a really nice suit nine times out of 10, no one's going to ask me who I am, why I'm there, if I'm supposed to be there. 
And I agree completely. It's not stupidity. It's it's kindness. And when you look at these social engineering attacks that target our people, they are targeting what are called these cognitive biases. So we all have mental shortcuts that we use to quickly make decisions every single day. And the bad guys exploit this. They know that we use these mental shortcuts and they know how to exploit them to get us to do things we wouldn't otherwise do. We have an idea. And during this time, even five years ago, there were still quite a lot of companies that doing security awareness training, like more than I have a finger. So there are quite a lot of them. What did you do next? Did you actually went to customers and validate the idea or you went to build the application? A little bit of both. So during the process of trying to fill or figure this out and develop methodologies to do what I call social engineering for good, I was over in Europe, ran into some professors that were working on developing curriculum about exactly this. How do we build effective security awareness training programs inside our organizations? And so the collaboration of their work as well as my own really allowed me to get that deeper dive into it. And so after we published this curriculum, I went and took those methodologies that we had defined and I built them into an AI, which is now Fish Firewall. Did you went and raise money with the idea or with the product? We already had the products. We built the products in the garage, if you will. So we had a consulting company that we used to allow us to develop the product and test it and prove the concept and the theories out on actual clients. And that really did help to drive some of the growth is seeing those enterprise needs and unique challenges that they faced and having the opportunity to go to the drawing board, if you will, and find solutions for some of these more unique challenges. By having a product, did you, it was actually easier to raise money or you guys stayed with kind of self-motivation and you using your own money? You know, I don't know. I've heard a lot of different people tell different stories about how easy or difficult it was to raise money. The reality is that it wasn't super easy to raise money. I think once we found the right investor, it went pretty quickly. But I think that's the case for almost everybody. And so I honestly don't know how my experience compared to others, but raising capital is a difficult process, no matter where you're at in your business. And you really have to have all your ducks in a row, for lack of a better term. You have to know the answer to every question before it's answered. And and you really, truly need to know what you're doing or no one's going to trust you with their money. You can recommend something for the new entrepreneurs that's watching or listening to us right now from your experience what's going to be like the few points when you do get that funding just take your time you're going to feel very rushed to hit those numbers but take your time and be strategic about your decisions and about your movement because there's a lot of pressure and it's all too easy to want to just jump and to almost try and move too quickly and when you do you make mistakes that you might not make otherwise. Good advice. Thank you. So you have a product, you have money, you need to hire the bigger team. And this is the part that always intrigued me. How do you create culture? How do you decide who to hire? 
I think you want to make sure you have a lot of options for each candidacy. And my rule is at least three good picks. So if we only have one person that we really like for the position, then we have not advertised enough. We have not collected enough resumes. I want to have three people that I like and try and narrow it down between those three in order to help make sure that I get better people. That being said, I think that one of the rules for a startup is to hire slow and fire quick. And when you're growing that, you really do want to take your time hiring the person to make sure that you have the right people. But if at any time you find that maybe you don't have the right person in one of those positions, don't be afraid to change course and correct things. Let's go deeper on the idea of I like or my team likes. Do you need to hire people that you like that are similar to you? Or you need to hire people that you like, but they're potentially different than you. They may challenge you. They may let you think differently. They may point on a different direction. Challenge, I mean, like a challenge in a good way that will help you to see something that the qualities you potentially don't have. I think you want both types of hires early on. You certainly want the ones that are going to think every idea you have is a great idea, but you also want the people that are going to challenge you. I think both are important and can help. The person that's going to like every idea doesn't stop and slow things down. And so you can keep things moving very quickly. But on the flip side of that is the person that will challenge you makes you really defend your position and have really strong arguments. And so they do bring a lot. And so I think both are important early on. And you don't want a team that's entirely, you know, the, the people that will challenge you because you're not going to get anything done. It's going to be too much discussion. But the, the flip side is you don't want a team that's entirely yes men because you're not going to get any of that critical discussion that leads to better, stronger ideas. Let's talk more about the idea of not getting anything done, especially during the pandemic when everybody is remote and you guys started the company and the pandemic came as well. How do you manage tasks? How do you make sure you're actually productive and just talking about stuff and not accomplishing anything? I think it really comes down to each person on an individual basis, but make sure you have some good project management tools in place like a JIRA or something like that to help manage those tasks. But I know for us, we have a lot of short little scrum meetings, 15 minutes at the beginning of the day to make sure that we're on the same page. We try to keep them very short. Sometimes they're only five minutes, but it's important to have those team syncs on a fairly regular basis. Is there a, an idea of perfect meeting from time perspective, from your perspective? Like I know for me, it's seven minutes, two minutes to talk about life, five minutes to talk about the project and we're done. I don't know about that. I think I've sat in three hour long meetings that needed to be four hours. And I've sat in on 15 minute long meetings that could have been done in five minutes. I think there's definitely that rule that any job will expand to fit the size of the time it's given. And that's especially true with meetings, where if you give it three hours and you only needed 15 minutes, it'll take most or pretty much all of that three hours. But, you know, the flip side is I, I do think sometimes it's good to just huddle, circle the wagons and get your team together and have those really long meetings where you just figure out some difficult challenge or something that you've been working on. You are mostly technical person in the beginning, but as a startup, you need to do sales. Founding lead sales, nobody cancel it, probably going to be here for a very long time. Tell me about this experience. What did you like? What did you don't like? 
probably still doing them right now. And how did you learn to evolve in your role? I thought I knew sales when I started this because I had done some more technical sales, but I certainly didn't know the sales process from start to finish. And you're spot on, then that's something that I learned early on was that I needed to be the company's top salesperson. And that was my number one and only job. It's definitely been interesting and a little bit of a learning curve. I think especially for technical founders, it can be difficult to set down the technical details of their business or to let go of the technical details and to focus on just the sales side of things. But I guess it came naturally. I know the product better than anyone else in the world. I imagine that it'll stay that way for a long time. And so there isn't anyone better than that founder to get out there and to evangelize and talk about the product and to sell it. And I think it's a necessary evil, if you will. And I enjoy it. If my schedule is not booked all day, I barely know what to do these days because that's sales is 90% of my job. In what point you let go and let somebody else sell the baby? I think as soon as you can, honestly, but I think early on, that's not something that you can just easily do is let go and let somebody else sell. There is a large learning curve uh, with any new startup around figuring out what are our key differentiators? How are we going to sell this product? What resonates with buyers? Who are our buyers? All of these questions that the founder needs to know first and foremost. And as you start getting better and better at it, I think that you can do less and less of the sales, but the founder is so critical in sales, especially in the early days. Let's go a bit to talk about marketing. I have this concept of chicken and the egg. If a customer is asking for a feature, you can say, yes, we have it and you go develop it. Or you say, no, we don't have it right now, but we're going to have it in the next release. So if you buy the product, Oh, sorry, Mr. Customer, it's not something we think we need to be doing. What is your approach? I think uh, most of our development is led by client demand. And so we listen to our clients and what they're asking for and try to deliver. There is a little bit of a balancing act that between what our clients are asking for, what we see as market differentiators, things that, that we need in order to be more competitive in the market and things that we see efficiencies within our product as well. It's a bit of a balancing act, but we try to be heavily driven or we try to make sure that our roadmap is heavily driven based on our customer requests and demands. And honestly, our customers know what they need better than just about anyone else. And so it's rare that I get a request that it just seems like it came out of left field that really doesn't make much sense. Makes sense. I'm wondering if there was a moment that you knew you're in the right direction. So we had an idea, you build it, start selling this, and then something happened, customer feedback, big deal, money. You know what? We're building something right. We don't need to pivot anywhere. This is what we need to do and continue. I think the big thing for me that was that eye-opener was when we built our AI, we personified her. In the process of doing that, we had created an actual email address for our AI. Now, it was purely for sending, and we never really expected any of the users to respond and to write our AI. But 
early on, we started getting emails, candid emails from users saying, thank you for the training or even giving us ideas on how to fish their coworkers. And that was the moment when we got actual thank yous for doing security awareness training for me that said, okay, we're doing something right. And it's because you've never heard of anyone saying thank you for security awareness training. So when we started getting these thank yous in a fairly high frequency, that just told me we were doing something right. Isn't this funny and a bit sad that people always complain about stuff, but they almost never take a moment to actually say something nice? It's true. You rarely get the congratulations or the thank yous, but you're right. I guess that's just a natural part of humans. I heard somebody say something, I forget who it was, but they said humans have this great ability for imagination, but most people only ever use it to imagine negative things. They imagine the worst thing that could happen, but they don't imagine the best thing that could happen. Yes. And it's interesting that the majority of the people, when they're not doing something, they don't understand it's needed. I remember when I started to work as a waiter back in college, and I basically work on tips. My parents didn't know they was supposed to tip until they saw me coming home exhausted. Oh, okay. This is how I make money. For them, it was an eye-opening. They started to tip all the time because they realized how hard is the work. Or if you're doing a blogging, you never pretty like a comment on other people's blogs because you don't understand the effort it takes people to write them. And there's many different examples in life. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone's biased by their own experiences and life and uh, and what they've been through. And, And the more they've been through, the more likely they are to truly have a passion or that empathy for the person in that similar situation. If you go back to the beginning, would you change anything? the way you start to the company? Yeah, I, I probably wouldn't. Other than maybe a few of my early business partners that I ended up buying out, I wouldn't have invited them in to begin with and I would have saved myself a couple dollars. But I think that's about the only thing I would have changed. Our approach, what we've been doing, I think sure we've learned some lessons the hard way, but those are often the most memorable lessons as well. Let's go deeper on you. We all have bad days. This is part of the Pandora's day-by-day family. What do you do to get back on the horse, to get back in life. It's meditation, walking on the beach, singing, karaoke, everybody's different. For me, it's just push through. I've definitely had those times where I questioned why I ever started the business to begin with. I think everyone has, at least anyone who started a business that is, but just power through and realize that often it's right after some of your biggest obstacles that are the times when your biggest opportunities come through. The bad days come with good days. We're going to switch topics and talk about dark side. This is the time where we talk about stuff that didn't work or was a big failure. Maybe you learned something from them. So definitely don't share anything confidential. But whatever you can share. You mentioned bad hires, bad partners, bad POCs, whatever it is. I think the biggest one was we had this idea back in the day for what we called scareware. Malware that was completely harmless, but designed to scare the heck out of the user if they run it. We realized early on that was a bad idea. It was really cool, though. I will say it would first take over and pop in front of everything. And it would have a message that would say, 
you just downloaded software from a random site on the internet that you don't know and they'd have to click I understand. And then it would continue on with this story and they'd, they'd end up clicking I understand 13 different times. And if they run it again, then the second time they run it, it just looks like it's destroying and deleting their entire computer. Oh, so yeah. yeah, no, it was this fun software we never did anything with because we realized early on that the old adage, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar is very true. And that while people tend to be heavy with the stick inside of security awareness, that it was carrots that were going to solve this problem, not sticks that were going to solve it. And so we changed our approach for sure. But no, back in the early days, we had scareware and we were pretty proud of it. So maybe it's a good idea to bring it during Halloween time. She's going to have a Halloween theme. It's yeah, fun exactly. for people. Yeah. <laughs> you clicked, you idiot. <laughs> so we usually don't go here about technical a lot, but I want to touch something that's not technical. I think it's more people skills in this case. For security awareness, as you mentioned, it's not very sexy. I'm surprised that people say thank you. It's like a necessary evil we need to do. Almost like we're doing the fire alarm testing every month, whatever it is. But there's a couple of things that are very important, and I mentioned executives. What do you think working for executives and not working for executives? Like, I have my own views on this, that they need more personal touch. But I want to hear from you that have been doing for a number of years, the best practices to actually help executives to understand what's happening. So I think it starts with tailored training. Executives need to understand cybersecurity from a risk management perspective not from the typical perspective that they get it. They don't care about, hey, malware might get on my computer if I click this. They do care about, hey, if I click on the wrong thing, it could potentially expose our company to a ransomware attack and we could pay $5 million or whatever. So I, I think part of it comes with just helping them better understand risk because at the end of the day, their job is largely risk management for the organization. And when you tie cybersecurity to risk, it helps them better understand that and better do their job as it pertains to cybersecurity. I know a lot of people omit their executives from the security awareness training. I see it still to this day. I think it's a terrible idea. There's a couple reasons it's a bad idea. The, the first one is that to truly create that culture change that we're all going after, we have to drive top-down leadership. And that means that the executives need to be leading by example. But the other aspect of that, I think makes it a terrible idea, is that executives do tend to be one of our more at-risk groups. If you send the right email to most executives, they will fall for it. And so they need that training just as much as anybody else in the organization. And just because they have the ability to fire anyone in a whim if they get upset does not mean that they should be ignored from that training. And I also find that it's really good to create mentor mentee relationships within your organization. And so if you take the groups or the departments that are really doing well, and you team those department heads up with the departments that are really struggling, you can work to better create that culture change. When you don't even have the top executives involved, 
you're not going to get that engagement really from any level or any layer of management. I think it's a very good advice, concise and to the point. Joshua, thank you very much. It was a pleasure talking to you. You guys bring very important part in a not sexy topic, but something very fundamental and important. Thank you very much for being here today. Yeah, thank you. Everybody that's listening, thank you very much for tuning in and hope to see you next episode.